Good morning, happy Sabbath again. If you have your Bibles, I want to invite you to open them with me to the book of Luke chapter 19. We're going to take a look at a story in Scripture that you're very familiar with through a children's song, but the hope is that we will gain a deeper blessing from the passage this morning. In Luke chapter 19, beginning in verse 1, I'll be reading from the New King James Version of the Bible this morning. In Luke chapter 19, beginning in verse 1, where the Bible says, Then Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. Now behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, who was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. And he sought to see who Jesus was, but could not because of the crowd, for he was of short stature. So he ran ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see Jesus, for he was going to pass that way. Verse 5. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him and said to him, Zacchaeus, make haste, come down, for today I must stay at your house. So he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. But when they saw it, they all complained, saying, He has gone to be a guest with a man who is a sinner. Verse 8, Then Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, I give half of my goods to the poor. And if I have taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I restore fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house because he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. This morning I want to talk to you under the topic, the pursuit of happiness. The pursuit of happiness. But let's pray one more time. Father in heaven, we've just read your word and now we ask for a blessing on the preaching of your word. That each of our hearts would be open to hear what the Spirit has to say to us and that our eyes and our hearts would be drawn closer to Jesus. This is what we ask. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. John Locke, who was a 17th century philosopher known as the father of uh, modern-day liberalism, coined the term the pursuit of happiness. It's been picked up in the Declaration of Independence, and it's also a part of a popular movie from 2006 entitled The Pursuit of Happiness, where Will Smith goes from rags to riches. That's a pretty good movie. Um, But John Locke, even though he says a lot of things that I don't agree with, he does say one thing that caught my attention. He distinguishes happiness in two major categories. On the one hand, he has what he calls imaginary happiness. Things that we do that lead to instant gratification, but over the long term of our life, leave us worse off than when we began. And on the contrast to imaginary happiness, he said we could pursue real happiness, true happiness, things that enabled us to be free and to set us up better for the long run in our life. You know, every day I wake up in the morning and I have to choose between imaginary happiness or real happiness. And so if I choose real happiness, that would make me, for for my circumstance, get up 
and go after praying and spending time with God is going to the gym and exercising. That's real happiness for me because I know long-term it's gonna set me up to serve my family, to serve the church, and I'll have better health over the course of my life. That would be me choosing real happiness. But there are days where imaginary or instant gratification type of happiness really does appeal to me. That after I drop my kids off to school, that instead of going right to the gym, I like to sometimes drive right through the McDonald's, through the drive-thru, and get uh, two egg and cheese biscuits for the price of one. In first service, I got an amen to that. I was like, okay. (laughs) Uh, That would be me having to choose every day between imaginary happiness, instant gratification, or long-term happiness, things that set me free for the future. And when we take a look at the pursuit of happiness from a Christian lens, we can see that, in fact, there are two distinct pursuits of happiness available to us. On the one hand, we have the false imaginary happiness that the world has to offer us. And on the other hand, we have the true, the real happiness that the Word of God has to offer us. In our story today, Zacchaeus has pursued happiness. And from a capitalistic perspective, we could say very clearly that he was successful in pursuing happiness. The Bible tells us in verse 2 that he is a tax collector. But he's not just any ordinary tax collector. He is like Matthew, who was a regular tax collector, he is a chief tax collector, which means he is the most powerful tax collector in the city of Jericho. And just in case we weren't sure, not only was his position important and powerful, but the Bible is clear to tell us that Zacchaeus was rich. And still, with all his power, with all his position, with all his wealth and luxury that other men and women would only dream of, still something was missing in his life. For the Bible says that he went to look for Jesus. He went to look for something else. The thing is, no matter if you hit rock bottom or you reach the top of the totem pole, there's going to come a point in your life where you look up to God and you ask the question, Is this all there is? Or is there something more? And Zacchaeus, even though he had the pursuit of happiness from a capitalistic perspective, he was still missing something in his heart. There was still a hole in his soul that could not be filled. And he went searching for Jesus. I don't know where you are in your life right now, if you're successful or if you're at the top or maybe even if you're at the bottom. But the Holy Spirit will put a desire in your heart at one point at another that there's more to to this world than the things that we can accumulate or possess. That there is an answer that only God in our life can satisfy. And so Zacchaeus, he is at that point in his life, he's seeking Jesus. He's there in the city of Jericho. And the Bible gives us this very strange obstacle that gets into Zacchaeus's way. We're quick to mention his height because he was a wee little man. 
A wee little man was he. Uh, even Billy Graham, the famous evangelist, uh, mentions there are obstacles that get in our way of seeing Jesus that are based off of our heredity. Either it's our pride or it's our love for the world or it's our self-righteousness. Those are obstacles that keep us from seeing Jesus. But that's not the obstacle that the Bible presents for us this morning for Zacchaeus. The Bible says clearly there in verse 3 and 4 that the first obstacle that got in the way of Zacchaeus was the crowd. Because his height wouldn't matter if there was no one in front of him. Please don't miss this important point. That sometimes the people positioned closest to Jesus are the greatest obstacles for others to see Jesus. Sometimes those of us who love Jesus and are closest to Jesus personally and positionally are the very people that make it the hardest for others who are outside to see Jesus. Zacchaeus went into the crowd and he tried to make his way there. And Ellen White, she says, and they just didn't have any interest in letting him in. And I always wonder, how is it possible that people who love Jesus like you and I, people who follow Jesus like you and I, can make it so difficult for others to get to Jesus? You know, Daryl Gutter, the theological seminary professor at Princeton on mission, he has a very interesting uh, answer to this question. How is it that people who love Jesus have a difficult time helping other people find Jesus? And he says there was a time hundreds of years ago when the church and the government, the state, had an unhealthy union that changed the nature of the church. And, and we as Seventh-day Adventists know that that type of unhealthy church-state relationship will one day get, again come to pass. But what he says now is in Western society today, it's not the church and the government that's come in hand, uh, hand in hand with each other, but it's been replaced by the church and the marketplace that church practices and business practices have now united so closely that the, that the, that the, that the ethics of them have been tied together. So what does, what does that mean for us practically? Well, it means that as long as we as individuals are close to Jesus in our personal relationship, as long as we as individuals can watch the sermon online and feel like, man, I'm being blessed, as long as we like the music and our personal preference is being catered to and you go to church once a month and you, and you give to the church maybe once every few months, then you are classified as a faithful Christian and follower of God. That's what the business models tell us in the church today. But that isn't the call of discipleship. The call of discipleship asks us to be so much more than just, you know, consumers. That's what Daryl Gutter said has happened to the state of the church today. And I happen to agree with him that sometimes, even as a pastor, even as just a regular person, that we can be so focused on our own personal relationship with God to the neglect of the public and the community outside of us. Zacchaeus is there. He's trying to see Jesus. But those who are positioned closest to Jesus make it difficult for him to see. And I want you to picture the scene with me this morning as if you're in Jericho, a beautiful uh, climate like California. 
and, and, and you're seeing Jesus and you are a part of the crowd and you're, and you're walking down the streets of Jericho and you're just in awe because, wow, the Messiah is here and you're pressing closer and closer to Jesus and you kind of notice like a tug on your jacket or on your, on your you know, skirt or whatever and, and you look back and, oh, it's the little wee little man trying to get closer. And you're like, ah, oh, Zacchaeus, you're just trying to get more of my money. Leave me alone. Uh, get away from me. And, and, and you look back at Jesus and there he is. You love him. And you look back at Zacchaeus and, oh, he's gone. The Bible says in the next verse that Zacchaeus goes and runs ahead. But imagine if you're a part of the crowd and you see Zacchaeus run ahead, going down the road. You're going to think, Zacchaeus has lost interest in Jesus. He's going to go count his money or something. He's gone off and ran away. And if we were a part of the crowd, we would quickly look at Zacchaeus and we'd say, he hasn't run on ahead to see Jesus better. He's ran away. But that's not why Zacchaeus ran ahead. He ran ahead, as you know, to climb the sycamore tree so he could get a better perspective of Jesus. You know, this last uh, week was the general conference session in St. Louis, 61st uh, general conference session. And I love the general conference. I, I can't wait for the time that everyone can be there and celebrate together because we remember or we recognize how God has done such a wonderful thing for our church globally. Uh, I think there are now over 22 or 23 million people worldwide who profess to be Seventh-day Adventists. Amen? Amen. I love that. Uh, but one of the numbers we kind of forget about is that of the 22 million Adventists who are practicing and following Jesus faithfully a part of our church, that there has been 13 million people who have left our denomination. 13 million people that have left our denomination. But this story of Zacchaeus gives me hope. It puts hope in my heart that maybe what looks to us as running away from the love of Jesus is really they're just running away because they don't like us. I was talking to a young adult who uh, is faithfully active and serving in their local church, and I was asking them, you know, like, it's, you're a rare breed to be in the church uh, uh, serving God. I see Ethan here. He's one of the, you know, rare uh, young adults who are in the church actively serving God. This story is not about you, Ethan, so uh, it's okay. And uh, I was asking him, what, what is it that kind of kept you in your faith with Jesus? I'm a youth and young adult pastor. It's of high interest to me. And what they told me, I'll never forget, because it's not what I've read in any of the literature. Uh, they said, I grew up in a Christian home. I went to Christian schools. I, went to, I grew up in a Christian environment culturally. But when I graduated high school, I started to recognize there were cultural expectations of me in my home and in the church and in the community that didn't seem right to me. So I decided to leave the church and to leave the community and to leave the culture so that I could get right with Jesus to get my own perspective of what Jesus wanted me to have in my life. And I did that, and now I'm back. And it just kind of stopped me in my tracks because sometimes when we have family members or friends who step back out of the institutional church, we think they're leaving their love for Jesus. And sometimes that is the case, sadly. But there are times when people are leaving us 
but they're not leaving their love for Jesus. That's what it looks like in the story of Zacchaeus. He's running down the road. You're thinking he's running away from Jesus, but he's really positioning himself in a better place to see Jesus. And Jesus is there with the crowd and he's walking. And I love this story because it's a beautiful story of Jesus because it tells us Jesus doesn't look at the outward uh, appearance, but Jesus looks at the heart. Jesus doesn't look at the empirical facts of our life. He can see into our souls the amazing faith that is there. And as Jesus is walking with that crowd that day, he looks up in that sycamore tree and he sees Zacchaeus and he calls him by name. And he says, Zacchaeus, make haste, come down because I got to go to your house today. And the Bible says that Zacchaeus, with haste, gets down. I imagine this little man jumping out of the tree and he goes to meet Jesus. And the Bible says this very clear thing that Zacchaeus receives Jesus joyfully. With all the pursuit of money and power and wealth, his heart was left empty and void of joy. But as soon as he met Jesus, then his heart was filled with joy. Friends, there's something about meeting Jesus. There's something about having Jesus close into our lives. There's something about the love of Jesus that brings us joy, even when everything around us is a mess, even when the crowd doesn't care about us. There's something about Jesus that brings us joy. You know, in Zacchaeus' culture, uh, Jesus inviting himself to Zacchaeus' home was really a big deal because Zacchaeus grew up in a different culture than you and I are growing up today. Distinctly different. We're, we're living in a live and let live type of culture where anything goes and, and we accept everyone's different opinion as equal. But that's not the culture that Zacchaeus grew up in. Zacchaeus grew up in a shame and honor culture, which means if you were doing something wrong that your family or community thought was wrong, they wouldn't accept you. They wouldn't love you. They wouldn't embrace you. They would shame you and then they would shun you. There are still cultures like that today. That anytime someone makes a mistake and we want their behavior to improve, the idea in Zacchaeus' time is that we shame you and we disassociate ourselves from you and we shun you. But I love Jesus in this story because he's countercultural, where the rest of the crowd is grumbling and because Jesus is, is there accepting uh, uh, Zacchaeus, Jesus doesn't shame and shun Zacchaeus. Jesus loves and accepts Zacchaeus. And this is important. The order is very important because Jesus accepted Zacchaeus before Zacchaeus repented. Jesus invited Zacchaeus uh, into his life before Zacchaeus had a change of heart. See, some of us still have it backwards. We still think that we have to do something in order to earn God's love or God's favor that maybe if we just believe the right way or if we behave the right way, then God will accept us and love us. But this story really reminds us of the love of the grace of God, that Jesus accepts us and loves us and calls us his child first, even before we repent. And it's because we accept Jesus's love and we accept Jesus's grace and we accept his mercy in our life then we go on and repent. 
That's what happens in the story of Zacchaeus. Jesus accepts Zacchaeus. Then Zacchaeus is filled with love and joy. And then he obeys and he says, all my money, half of it I'm going to give to the poor. And the other half that I stole from people, uh, I could give back just 20% extra as the league law requires, but I'm going to give back four times as much. See, Zacchaeus was first accepted, and then he repented, and then his life changed. Some of us are still struggling with sins in our life, trying to fight them, trying to live a holy life, trying to do it on our own, and thinking that if we do it, we'll gain the approval of God. It makes us legalistic. It makes us bitter. It makes us angry at God because he's called us to a holy requirement, and we can't do it. But when we accept Jesus into our life, and we abide with Christ, he plants that seed of righteousness in our hearts and we begin to naturally desire to do the good things we once hated. That's the power of God's love. That's the power of God's acceptance. You know, I was thinking of a way to kind of illustrate that. Um, and the best thing I could come up with is my relationship with my, my youngest baby. Uh, he's not a baby anymore. He's three years old. His name is Lucas. And, uh, I was talking to someone in the foyer about this, but at, uh, at two, they call it terrible twos, right? That's not true. For any of you who have kids or have had kids, uh, that's not true. The age two is a delightful age. It's the best age. When they become three, that's when they become three-nagers. You know, three-nagers? That's when they start to rebel and start to have their own desires and wants and things like that. And... Uh, God bless my little, my, my little Lucas, but he's a three-nager. So before, you know, I used to be able to tell him, Lucas, you know, come grab your food and throw it into the trash. We're all done. And he'd say, yes, Daddy. And he'd grab his little food and his little plate and his little baby legs, and he'd go over to the trash and he'd dump it in there. That's when he was two. But now that he's three, I'll say, Lucas, okay, time to throw your food away. And he'll look at me and he'll smile he'll grab his food and he'll throw it in the opposite direction of the trash. Uh, sometimes he's eating snacks or chips and he's eating his tasty Doritos that he likes and, and he eats them and sometimes they drop, which is natural. And I'll say, okay, Lucas, you know, pick up the chip and, and throw it away. And he'll look at me and he'll smile and he'll stomp on the chip and he'll break it into like a thousand pieces and it just really makes me mad. Oh, man. Uh, there's one thing that he really likes to do. Our house is, is all white. The walls, we painted them all white. And I tell Lucas, you know, Lucas, you can have the marker and you can draw on, on the paper, on the pieces of paper. I have 20 of them for you. You're surrounded by pieces of paper. Please only draw on, on the paper. And he'll look and smile at me. And if I don't pay attention to him for one second, he'll go behind the curtain. He'll start drawing all over the wall. And actually, if you go through my house up the stairs, you'll see little circles all the way coming up my wall. And you know what? It drives me crazy. <laughs> and as a parent, I've been trying to figure out a way. How do, I, how do I correct this behavior? You know, with some of my kids, if I raise my voice, that helps. Uh, it doesn't really work with Lucas. Uh, with some of them, if I, if I put them in timeout, that'll, that'll stop them from behaving poorly. Didn't really work for Lucas. I'm, I'm old-fashioned in a way. Sometimes I'll, you know, bring out the good old papal, you know, and I'll give him a good spank here or there. 
And uh, that doesn't work. I see why people don't do it as much because it, it didn't work for Lucas. Uh, but what I found that works for him to, to reform his behavior is the craziest thing. I'll walk up to him, you know, he's this tall, and I'll say, Lukey, uppy, uppy, which means you want up. And then as soon as I say uppy, he'll stick out his tongue. He'll go, ah. And I'll pick him up and I'll hold him and I'll carry him around. And I'll bring him to the computer as I'm trying to send emails. I'll talk with him on the phone. So if you hear yelling in the background, that's Lucas. I'll make some food holding him. And it's the craziest thing that once he's had his fill of being held, then he wants to get down. And he's a beautiful, behaving child again. It's the amazing thing that the discipline doesn't work, but that love and that acceptance and that 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 need to be held fills him enough that he, he doesn't want to be a brat anymore. <laughs> um, and I, I look at the story of Zacchaeus, and that's really how the gospel is for each and every one of us. That God loves us, and God's, God accepts us, and the Father's arms are embracing you. And as you abide in the love of God, that's when your behavior begins to change. That's when the fruit of righteousness begins to grow into your soul. And it's not from trying harder. It's from being in the presence of God and allowing his power to transform your life. That's how change happens. Zacchaeus, he had experienced the acceptance of God. He experienced the joy of God. But the people around him have a different reaction, which really to this day bothers me. Whereas Zacchaeus is filled with joy, the crowd is complaining and grumbling that Zacchaeus had accepted Jesus. It's a very strange thing that you can accept Jesus personally as your Savior and still be missing out on some of the greatest joy that comes from being a Christian, which is allowing others who don't know Jesus to learn about Jesus for the first time. You know, there's some special kind of joy, not only from knowing Jesus personally, but from professing Jesus publicly, from sharing your faith to someone who doesn't know about Jesus. I think a lot of us are missing a lot of joy that God wants to give us in our life because we've bought into both roads of the pursuit of happiness. On the one hand, we love Jesus and we accept Jesus in a marketplace type of way. But on the other hand, we're still pursuing wealth and prosperity and possessions and positions. And so we're kind of torn in two directions that we don't really have joy from either. That's what I think is happening to the people in the crowd. They're following Jesus personally, but they have no joy when Zacchaeus finds Jesus himself. And I think one of the greatest joys we're missing out on as a people, as individuals sometimes, is sharing our love for Jesus with others. I can tell you that uh, growing up as a kid, I didn't even like going to church. I fell in love with Jesus as a teenager, and my parents are here. Thank God they're back from Canada. And uh, they can tell you I didn't even like going to church. But there's something special about sharing your love of Jesus with other people. There's a joy that it brings to your heart. And if you haven't had the opportunity or you haven't made the opportunity, I really want to encourage you. You're really missing out. I mean, sometimes when I was growing up, it was like, ah, you better witness or else. But it's really not like that. You're really missing out when you don't, when you don't get to witness. Uh, the story here tells us that you can follow Jesus personally 
and we can accept the message of Jesus personally, but we will miss out on the joy of Jesus if we don't accept Jesus's message and his mission. His mission to go out, like Jesus says in verse 10, for the Son of Man has come to seek and save the lost. And so I just want to end our time here together with three practical tips from the story of Zacchaeus that will help us uh, with our joy of pursuing the lost like Jesus. From the story of Zacchaeus, point number one, um, we have to assume that everyone around us, even though they're rich or not, whatever their circumstances are, we have to assume that every single person has a desire for Jesus. We have to assume that. Often we look at people who are different than us and we say, oh, they're not interested. No, God has placed a need inside of each of us for God. So we have to assume that every single person has a need for Jesus. That's number one. And number two, pretty simple. Jesus was countercultural and did something that's very uncomfortable in order to reach out to Zacchaeus. I'm pretty sure it is impolite or countercultural to invite yourself over to someone else's house. Isn't it? If someone invites themselves over to your house, it's very uncomfortable. It's very countercultural. But Jesus did just that. He invited himself into Zacchaeus' home. He didn't wait for Zacchaeus to invite him into his home. He invited himself into Zacchaeus' home. What is it for you that you can be uncomfortable or countercultural to win someone to Jesus? Maybe it means inviting someone into your home, even though you're an introvert. Maybe it means going out of your comfort zone to ask someone, hey, you know, we've been hanging out for a long time. I've worked with you for a long time. Do you know about Jesus? It's very uncomfortable. It's very countercultural. But that's the tip number two that we can learn about witnessing to other people from the story of Zacchaeus. First, assume everyone has a desire to know Jesus. Number two, be willing to be uncomfortable and countercultural to meet people for Jesus. And number three, pretty simple, and just to repeat, we have to accept people before we expect any change from them first. We accept them for who they are, for their beliefs, for their behavior, first, before we require any change in their life. If we try to, if we only hang out with people who believe the same way we do, religiously or politically or philosophically, then we're missing the message of Jesus this morning, that the acceptance precedes repentance. And when you do that, when you know, when you're hanging out with someone, your job is not to change them, your job is to love them, then it really takes a load and the pressure off of witnessing to someone else. So I just want to encourage you to pursue happiness personally as you follow Jesus for yourself and to pursue the message and mission of Jesus publicly as you experience joy in bringing other people to Jesus. I hope that you keep pursuing happiness, not as the world pursues it, but as Jesus presents it the mission and the message of Jesus' love to the world. That's my hope for you this week. God bless you.